Good morning, church. Today's reading is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 18. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once, for sins, the righteous, for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. This is the word of God. Hi friends, I'm Kathy Bates and we're continuing our series today through 1 Peter, looking at the unmistakable witness that we are called to be. I want to say up front that there are some things about being a Christian that I think really suck. The summary title for this section in 1 Peter simply reads, Suffering for Doing Good. That's not how life is meant to work, is it? I mean, didn't we get taught as kids that doing good gets rewarded, that life is fair? But the world that Peter is writing to isn't fair. Peter urges his readers to live good lives, live in harmony, be sympathetic, love people like their family, be compassionate, be humble. If someone insults you or does wrong by you, don't retaliate. And then he poses a rhetorical question, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? And we think, oh, phew, the world is fair after all. Doing good means we get treated well. Except that Peter goes on to say, but... But even if you should suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. You see, for the readers of Peter's letter, persecution was ramping up. Peter wrote this letter from Rome where both Peter and Paul would die under the persecution of the Roman Emperor Nero. In 64 AD, a massive fire broke out in Rome and Nero falsely accused the Christians of lighting that fire. And so over the next four years, he ordered the arrest and torture of all who made themselves known to be Christians. It is believed that Peter wrote this letter just prior to that massive fire. Persecution under Nero was already building. I mean, can you imagine being the hearers of Peter's words? Because they're having this dilemma, do we make ourselves known to be Christians? And so Peter says, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. 
Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. The followers of Jesus had to make a choice. Would they live their faith visibly and bear testimony to the truth of Jesus or would they keep silent and avoid trouble? Did you know that today... 245 million Christians across the globe face persecution because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They face this same choice that the readers of Peter did as well. Will they live their faith visibly and bear witness to their testimony to the truth of Jesus or will they stay silent? I was deeply challenged a couple of years ago hearing the testimony of a persecuted brother who said, Look, don't pray that persecution will stop. He said, we can make it stop any time. All we have to do is stay silent about our faith. Don't pray that persecution will stop. Pray that we will have the courage to keep speaking. I don't know about you, but I'm almost ashamed by how timid and how wishy-washy my faith and my witness in Christ seems in comparison. We have so much to learn from our persecuted brothers and sisters. Gabe from Open Doors is going to be joining us next week um, to talk about that further. Most of us don't have any idea about full-blown persecution, but we do know what it means to live in a culture that is increasingly antagonistic toward Christianity, where the Christian faith is often misunderstood and belittled in the media a culture where Christians are made to feel small or told that we're judgmental or that our lifestyle is prudish, a politically correct culture that makes us paranoid that we're going to be seen to be pushing our faith on others, a culture that says truth is relative, there's no one right way. We're quoting Jesus as the way, the truth and the life is seen as bigoted. Over the past few decades, Christianity has been pushed to the margins of our culture. And so just like the readers in Peter's day and also our persecuted brothers and sisters today, we face the same choice really as them. Will we live our faith visibly and bear testimony to the truth of Jesus or will we say nothing in order to avoid trouble or avoid losing our reputation or risking a friendship. Let's look at what Peter has to say. And I want to pick up on two things in verse 15. But in your hearts, set apart Jesus Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. Firstly, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Make an inner commitment to Jesus that he is Lord, not only of your life, but Lord of all, Lord of all creation, of every nationality, every person. Our faith isn't just meant to be a private thing between me and God. Scripture says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is not one option among many. He is Lord. He says he is the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. As we set apart Christ as Lord, be convinced and committed that he is Lord and every person needs to know him. 
Just prior to this verse, Peter has said, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. It's such a challenge for us not to fear the repercussions of living our faith visibly and giving witness to Christ. I was at a restaurant for a Christmas party last year and you know how most conversations at social things are quickly forgotten? Well, this one has stayed with me. I was so inspired by the women that I sat with. We were talking about how prepared we are to live our faith in our workplaces when it crosses the line of what is technically allowed. And so the woman on my left was a counsellor and, and she shared how she had thought through the possibility of being called before the board if she brought her Christian faith into the work that she did with her clients. And she had made a predetermined decision that that is a line that she would cross because the Lordship of Christ is too important, especially when it comes to the healing of others. The lady on my right was a GP. She had also wrestled with this same dilemma and she had come to the same decision. She said she regularly offered to pray to God with her patience. And every time her patients have been grateful, except one time. She prayed for a Hindu man, and she wasn't sure whether he was going to report her to the medical board or not. But she had resolved in her heart that it actually, for her, it wasn't going to be the determining thing. She would pay the price if she needed to. I love that for these women, setting apart Jesus as Lord means sharing him no matter the cost. I'm not suggesting that decisions like this are easy or that we're all going to land in the same place, but I do believe that we as Christians in the Western world need to be challenged by how safely we live our faith in order to avoid trouble or disapproval. If you have set apart Christ as Lord in your heart, how does that impact your public witness of him? Why don't you hit the pause button at this point and just have a chat about that with those that you're watching with or alternatively take some time to reflect. The second thing that Peter says about bearing testimony to Jesus in verse 15 is to always be prepared to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that we have. Well, can I make a confession at this point? I find this really hard. I'm shy and I'm an introvert, so, you know, put me on the spot and answers aren't going to pour naturally out of me. And so I've had to work at what Peter says here. Apart from reading, some of my best learning has been from other people who do this well. And then I've also learnt from trial and error. It's actually been 12 years since God really convicted my heart of my need to really share my faith with other people. And I'm still learning, but it definitely comes easier these days. As I said, one of the biggest ways that I have grown is learning from others. And so without wanting to sound like I've arrived, I'd love to share some some tips that I've learned from others that I have found really helpful. Firstly, Jodie Kubo taught me that being prepared in 1 Peter 3.15 actually means being prepared. Go figure. 
you know, for some reason, we think that eloquent testimonies are just going to pour from our lips at just the right time. Well, good on you if that's true for you. For me, actually thinking through how I go, how I share my testimony has been super helpful. Jody had us write out our testimony and, you know, this exercise, it just helps you work out what are the important bits. The key times when God has brought significant change in my life. What was my life like before? What happened? And and what has changed? It may be when we first came to faith or it may be other significant points of transformation. Writing out a testimony actually also helps us work out what are the irrelevant bits. If we include all the names and dates and places and churches, people's eyes glaze over. Learn how to share your testimony succinctly. So write it out. Share it with someone you trust and get their feedback. Practice doing it in in live situations, in different contexts, and just watch how people respond. Having said that, don't aim for a memorized monologue. Just share a snippet of your story and, and just gauge the response of the person you're talking with. Jody taught me the value of finding angles in my story that might engage interest. So, for example, I had my atheist friend over and, and she, she just made this offhand comment. She said, oh, I really don't like religion. And I said, yeah, I don't either. And knowing that I'm a pastor, she said, what? What do you mean? You have to like religion. And then just in three sentences, I explained the difference between religion being about rule keeping versus relationship with Jesus, which is simply about relationship. And her reply was, oh, well, if that's what it's about, well, I could buy into that. Sometimes I've been asked, have you always been a Christian? And I might say something like, you know, I actually started to believe in God when I was about five. But to be honest, I was really broken as a teenager. And, you know, I've had to work out how brokenness and faith in God fit together. You know, I'll just leave my testimony hanging at that point. And if someone is interest, interested, they'll engage me further in that conversation. Experiment with ways to use a snippet of your testimony to spark a conversation. Don't be afraid to practice and reflect. You don't always have to get it right. The only way we grow in anything is by practice. Which leads to another tip that my friend Julianne in Melbourne taught me. Be a student. Watch for how people respond and try changing up how you say things. A while back, Steve and I were in Central Australia and, and we were having dinner under the stars with a group of tourists. And uh, we were sitting at these large round tables, you know, the kind where you can really only talk with the person next to you. And so we spent probably about two hours talking to the English guy sitting next to us. And it was a normal, fun, real at times kind of conversation. And then toward the end of the night, he said, so what do you do for a living And I said, oh, I'm a pastor of a church. And it was like I had dropped a hand grenade in his lap. He went, oh, 
far out, only his word was more colourful than that. And he got up and he left the table. And to this day, we have no idea what drove that reaction. But determined not to be put off. The next holiday, I thought, okay, expect the what do you do question. And I thought, I'm going to experiment with how I answer. And so there were seven of us on a two-day kayaking trip. And sure enough, at some point, paddling up a fjord, Harley, our guide, asked, so what do you do for a living? And um, and I just said, oh, I actually lead a group of volunteers in our city to try and make a difference. Well, that engaged a whole other conversation that he kept coming back to over two days. And it wasn't until much later in the conversation that he discovered the reason we do that is because of our faith in God. And fortunately, there was no hand grenade moment because I don't think that would have gone down so well in a kayak. So never think that giving an answer for your faith has to be rigid or it has to be perfect in what you say. Just experiment with how you say things. Have a go and then reflect on what works and what doesn't and change it up. Think about your audience. What might be helpful given their background or what their starting point is? And Peter says, do it all with gentleness and respect. So if you're worried about being seen to be forcing your beliefs on others, breathe easy because that's not what we're being asked to do. Be gentle and respectful, but don't be silent. I'm going to finish there. Um, On our website and below this video, you'll find just some resources. Now, I've included a page just with some pointers on crafting your testimony and also using your story just in really simple ways to engage faith conversations with others. If you've never done that, I really encourage you to have a go. My prayer is that we will increasingly become a church who are prepared to speak, that setting apart Christ as Lord won't just be between me and God, but rather as we live these unmistakably holy lives that Peter has called us to live and as we are salt and light to those around us, that we will have a readiness to speak of Christ with those who don't yet know him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, after the length that you went to to stand for us, help us to stand for you. Would you forgive us for the times when we are silent about our faith in you? Convict us, teach us, and help us to be willing to learn how to seize the opportunities that you are opening up all the time. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will fill us afresh, empower us, lead us to know when and how to speak, give us courage and give us wisdom. And thank you, Lord, that it is you who bring people to saving faith. Help us to be faithful in bearing witness for you and then to trust you with what you will do in the lives of those who we share with. So come, Holy Spirit. Amen.
Thank you again for joining us today. As well as just joining us, what we would really love is for you to engage with, uh, with us as well. There are ways in which you can do that, and we have resources online to help with that. In the week leading up to each sermon, there is a series of devotionals from the book of 1 Peter, and then also you'll find a set of studies, uh, discussion questions that you can do at home by yourself or you can do with others as well, just bringing more to light out of the, the passage that we've looked at. But thank you again for joining us. Uh, next week, uh, Gabrielle from Open Doors will be joining us, and I'm really looking forward to what he is going to share with us. Until then, God bless. Thank you.